now the podcast starts. Hello, listener. Welcome back to the podcast on which we talk about horror. Sometimes we talk about other things, and sometimes we swear. This is T.D. Velasquez, but as always, you can call me Dan. I'm on my own at the minute, but I'll shortly be joined by the wonderful Stella, Dr. Stella Gaynor, that is, and we'll be having a discussion about body horror. Just before we go to that, though, I hope you had a nice Halloween. I did, and I didn't. I did because I went to a a rather wonderful screening in Manchester of uh, my perennial fave, Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, followed by a screening of 28 Days Later. These were both at the Chapel Town Picture House in Manchester's Green Quarter, which is rather a nice venue. Um, And I like both movies. Unfortunately, it was a very stormy, horrible, rainy, windy night in Manchester. I got absolutely soaked and have ended up with a bit of a cold, which you might be able to detect in my voice, although it's starting to abate, I think. Nevertheless, a nice evening, and especially nice to see 28 Days Later, which um, I failed to see on its initial release in cinemas 20 years ago, even though I was a film student at the time who was a horror fan. I really should have have gone to see it, but I didn't. So to finally see it on the big screen was good fun. And those of you who heard our previous episode in which we discussed the recent film Men. Um, There's an interest among us in Alex Garland's work and that was one of the reasons why I wanted to see 28 Days Later again. And in fact, we will be going in depth on that movie later this series. So if you like that movie, there's something interesting coming up for you. Something else I have been doing over the Halloween period uh, is watching the rather marvellous Blu-ray release by 101 Films of Ghost Watch. Um, that wonderful uh, 1992 BBC TV special, which long-time listeners of this podcast will know, is a particular favourite of ours. And in fact, the Blu-ray features our very own Stella on the commentary with her colleague Dr. Shelley McMurdo Um, and it's a a wonderful listen the actual limited edition Blu-ray package is a wonderful thing a joy to behold it has treasures in it including a a, a printed booklet containing the complete shooting script uh, complete with annotations by the director Leslie Manning um, and uh, yeah, it's an absolutely fantastic package um, and really well worth your time. Brand new documentary on there as well, including contributions from people such as friends of the podcast, uh, the writer of Ghostwatch, Stephen Volk, and also Rob Savage, director of Host. It's I can't recommend the Blu-ray enough to fans of Ghostwatch and... Uh, Obviously, I can't recommend Ghostwatch itself enough to anyone who might not have watched it yet. Definitely go for it. Um, So that was my Halloween. But, as I'm sure many of you listening will be intending to do, I really want to make Halloween last at least until Christmas. 
So I'm going to be continuing with my horror viewing. And of course that's why I'm here and why I'm privileged to be involved in a horror podcast where we just get to think a lot about that kind of material which thrills us so much. And having said that, let's move on to the topic of today's episode. So this episode was originally intended to be a questions of horror episode and the question was going to be what counts as body horror? Uh, Now I've actually decided to title the episode as you'll probably have seen a ramble about body horror because although Stella and I started with that question we kind of went on to just discuss our favorite and most interesting things about body horror and also discuss the development of uh, the form uh, in terms of the technological development in cinema and makeup and things like that um, so I don't think we really answered the question so that's why I changed the title of the episode but Hopefully it will still be a very interesting discussion as well. We touch on quite a lot of movies and TV shows um, and we probably uh, give spoilers for a few of them or at least for key moments. So I'll put a list, uh, a full list in the show notes of the films that we mention and discuss. So um, have a check of that before you listen and make sure that you don't want or you're happy to be spoiled yeah before you go in so having given you that warning i shall hand over to stella and the not uh cold afflicted version of myself from a couple of a couple of weeks ago when we recorded this and hopefully it will be enjoyable to you all right my friends have fun Stella. Alright Dan, it's been a while. <laughs> it has been a while, this is marvellous, welcome back. Uh, before we get into the main discussion, I just want to mention, and I put a link to this, but seeing as the last time I was talking to you on the podcast was when we mm. recorded our Red Dwarf episode, I've yep. now been delighted to discover that every episode almost of Red Dwarf is on UK TV Play. Uh, ah, for streaming. fantastic! Because it, it's being shown on yesterday channel on uh, um, regularly, so every single episode is up there except for series nine, which was Back to Earth. That was the, the first one... one on Dave, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah, I think it was, right. but I'm not sure if it was made by Dave. I think it might have been an right. independent production, which is why it's never been available as far as I can see on okay. streaming but um, every other episode is there, all the BBC series and all the subsequent Dave series so I shall certainly be filling those gaps that we um, discovered last time <laughs> in my Red Dwarf adventuring I was really pleased to discover that, cheered me up no end Excellent, um, oh it's good stuff <laughs> It is, it is indeed so I wonder if we'll, we'll bring any of that into today's discussion so i came up with a question of horror for today the -hmm. question being what counts as body horror um because i think that uh i think i have a 
uh, a tendency, and I think other people do as well, of, of kind of relating horror a lot to um, a particular era of cinema, um, just like from the 80s onwards, or rather mm -hmm. the 80s and the 90s, kind of pre-CGI, because that's when the makeup mm -hmm. effects let, lent themselves to there being a lot of body horror, both in... Um, obviously in mainstream in the mainstream of the horror genre but yeah. also leaking out into um other types of product other genres you know because th these kind of visuals were um were suddenly possible when they hadn't been before mm. but i guess as a starting point for the discussion i'll ask you stella and um, because mm. you are a person um as well as a great oracle of, of the horror genre in general you know you, you have actual practical experience of the makeup side of things what yes. do you think of when when somebody says body horror to you what's like the first example that comes into your mind oh god there's a few actually and it was quite interesting to pick them apart and separate them a bit to to think about that question what counts as body horror um and the first one that always jumped in jumps into my head isn't technically a horror film um okay. would call it would call it cyberpunk um so that yeah the film that always jumps first into my head is tetsuo the iron man um, oh is, okay mm -hmm. yeah 1989 um just because it's 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 a brutal film <laughs> and it's you know it's all the all the industrial mechanical noise in it and you've got the lead character sort of grafting various bits of machines to his flesh so there's just countless close-ups of various parts of this this man's body as he tears himself open and and puts puts various bits of wires inside himself but it's all shot in black and white yeah so it takes away that red visceral thing that you might think of body horror mm. but i i my mind always goes back to tetsuo the iron man well no you know what i've never seen that and Part of the reason is, apparently the fact that it's quite hard to get hold of, because the original Tetsuo is only about an hour long, isn't it? And mm. it's a black and white film. The the sequel, Tetsuo, Tetsuo 2 Body Hammer, I think is yeah. the sequel. Body it's bigger budget and more more available, and it kind of came out in the uh, in the wake of Terminator 2, I think. Mm -hmm. So there was a, it yeah. was kind of more zeitgeisty. But Tetsuo has always freaked me out, the idea of it. Is mm. it it's a guy who... It's kind of um, Cronenbergian yeah. uh, car crash. Is it a guy who's in a car crash and he then begins to turn into a car or something? I'm into not sure. Into a cyborg. Right. It, so it's a guy, he, he hits a, they run someone over and then that just sends them mad, essentially. Um, so the, the, the director, uh, Sakumoto, I think is his name. I apologise if I'm butchering that. Um, he said, he famously said, something on the lines of he was very much influenced by lots of the 70s american horror so cronenberg stuff like you know and nightmare on elm street he cited quite a lot as well in an interview with him um so there's there's lots of sequences in the film that are very clearly there are body horror cyberpunk all that kind of stuff but there's lots of it that feels like a slasher because there's lots of extended chase sequences where you think okay. they've got away from the from the from each other because they're kind of chasing each other the, the male and the female central character so it feels very slashery as well as body horror-y whilst also being an iconic piece of Japanese cyberpunk. 
So there's a lot right. going on. But, you know, in, in your question, what counts as, as body horror and what's the first thing that pops into my head? It's one of those close-ups on the central character's thigh, I think, is the thing that I picture where he's tearing it open to, to jam right. wires into it. Oh, gee. Ugh. Maybe amazing. we should put a, a warning on this. Probably don't listen to this while you're eating your tea. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, that's the thing about body horror. Um, yeah, it, it's. I think it's strange. I actually, there are there have been times in my life where I feel like, oh, I could, I really want to watch a body horror type film right now. Mm. Something very, very, very visceral and physical. But at the same time, yeah, a lot of the time that I watch TV and films is while I'm having breakfast and it's not really <laughs> going to work. Um, but just because you mentioned um, cyberpunk, and this is kind of what I wanted this discussion to be, is that things will bounce around. It just triggered in my head a thought that I not even occurred to me, but um, the movie Johnny Mnemonic, the, the Keanu Reeves movie. Oh, God, yeah. From the, from the mid-90s. There's a bit <laughs> in that. I think where a guy is sliced down the middle, but yeah. um, they do that effect where somebody gets sliced and they don't realise it for a minute, and then they try and move oh, them yeah. and all fall apart. Yeah, they go, yeah. Yeah, 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 which is you know increasingly common, and and that film is not great. Um, I've read the short story, <laughs> which is pretty good, um, but that that effect is quite memorable. Um, Absolutely, that happens in. Um, was it called the cube which is uh yes yes one of the worst scripts i've ever ever listened to but there's okay. a bit in, in that where somebody gets sliced up isn't there and funnily they don't enough I, I don't remember the dialogue but go on <laughs> so yeah somebody gets sliced because yeah. all, all the rooms are like booby traps aren't they in yes. the cube seem to remember and somebody gets sliced like a uh it's not unlike what happens in um the first resident evil film where like the lattice goes over the guy and he's basically turned into a lot of tiny pieces yes yeah it really freaks a, me out that it's like a web of lasers in yeah. evil isn't it whereas yeah. in cube it's like it's cheese it's wire a, yeah it's a, like a big cheese I, wire mesh. i remember um when <laughs> i was i would just gone to university and i was getting to know one of my housemates and for some reason we had a video of Cube available and neither of us had seen it before. And that scene that you mentioned oh. is the first scene in the film. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really scary. The character just is walking along and there's a kind of whoosh noise. Whoosh. And then blood just starts to come oh. out of him and then yeah. he just cubes to bits. Yeah. <laughs> I remember my friend, my friend Chris, who I hardly knew at the time, just went, whoa, that's frightened the life out of me. <laughs> It's kind of the best bit of the film. Although there is a, a bit later on where um, I don't mean to make it sound like I only am interested in the gory bits of the movie, but like you say, maybe the the dialogue isn't that memorable. No. So maybe these scenes which, which um, are the best thing. Um, there's a bit later on where they get into another room where there's an acid squirting device, and someone gets acid squirted straight into his face, and it melts through his entire head, and they're all trying to. They're all trying to save his life, um, but they just—you know—there's not much you can do when the just entire time his head's melted away. And yeah, that'll just, do right, it, won't it? Yeah, yeah, I think he's—he's—he's he's, he's a goner. But um, yeah. yeah, that director Vincenzo Natale actually—he's uh, a Canadian director who's kind of sort of his films had a sort of sub David Cronenberg style, mm. but still quite good. I like a later movie he made called Splice. 
Splice. Where Sarah it rings Polly, a bell. Uh, I think it's on a uh, like a free streaming channel at the moment. I've recently Splice. seen it come up. Um, but it's Sarah Polly and Adrian Brody as DNI scientists who mm. create a new kind of life form which gradually evolves into a humanoid life form. Um, it's it's quite good. Um, and then he, he Vincenzo and Natalie went on to direct episodes of Hannibal, so, mm. which is obviously going to come up within yeah. the, the body horror discussion. Um, yeah. He has a nice kind of clinical style to him, but mm-hmm. I think Cube was possibly written by him, whereas his later films he's just directing them. So maybe... He's he's not a great writer. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. slander him because I've not got my notes. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to check whether he did write it or not in case I've just massively insulted him unnecessarily. <laughs> but um, uh, but it is fun, and they made a sequel to it, or a couple did of they? sequels in the kind of straight to video era, which I think uh. we all miss. Although now it's straight to Netflix, which means that yeah. you, you you don't notice them. They just kind of get lost in the, yeah. the wash of... It was uh, on telly not long ago. I think it was on the Horror Channel while it was still the Horror Channel. It was on telly like not long it. ago and I started watching it. And uh, I'd not seen it since the first time I saw it in like the late 90s. And uh, yeah, that's when I was like, oh, this script. <laughs> it's, it's not good. Right. Like all, all the shocks and all the, um, the booby traps were all still fantastic. And it, you really... Sort of quite imaginative, but yeah, the script was making me grind my teeth a little bit. <laughs> right, oh dear. Well, I've got it um, in my book here, and it is co-written by Vincenzo and right, okay. so he does he does deserve blame for that. But I think he stepped <laughs> away from scripting for All his right. later movies. Good man. Um, <laughs> know your limits. But, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, well, you so, asked me what comes into my head when when say body horror. What pops into your head? If I say to um, you, body horror. Well, I suppose it's it's definitely that nineteen um, eighties um, group of movies. It's not really a single film, but it's it's Cronenberg specifically, mm-hmm. The Fly, and also Dead Ringers. Uh, not Dead Ringers. Um, Videodrome. Yep. Um, it's the thing, and um, I remember at one point I. I we just had this itch where I wanted I really wanted to watch some 80s body horror but the only mm. one available to me was the remake of The Blob from 1986 right. <laughs> um, but that's really quite a good one actually um, there's, there's some really gross bits in that um, uh, especially um, there's, uh, there's uh, the death of a character played by um Oh, what's his name? Dale from The Walking Dead. Jeffrey Dimon. Oh, yeah. He's in it. Um, and, yeah, the, it, it's really gross. Um, <laughs> which is, is... I mean, I think the thing I like about body horror is there seems to be something really transgressive about it mm-hmm. because uh, of, of all the, the physical violations. It feels kind of... Even though horror is kind of built on transgression and and wrongness, the the <laughs> physicalizing it puts it on the screen. It's not mm-hmm. just, in a way, it takes it away from the audience has got to read into the transgression. Like yeah. you know, whether you um, if a um, 
if a slasher movie is showing you the killer's POV, does that make you complicit in the murder? Yeah. That kind of thing. Whereas when somebody when somebody just physically explodes on screen, <laughs> it's like, whoa, that hey. shouldn't happen. Um, <laughs> and 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 um, and sometimes there's, uh, you know, there's, there's there's quite a fun in that. I mean, and I think a lot of the movies put that. In, uh, the, they kind of articulate that within the movie. So the, the bit in the thing, the famous moment where yeah. uh, Charles Hallahan's head grows legs and crawls away, and um, uh, and David Clendon sees it running away and says, "You gotta be fucking kidding!" <laughs> Which is exactly what the audience is is thinking at that point. You know? um, oh, also Hellraiser. I think yeah. In, t- in terms of pure horror genre, I think maybe um, Hellraiser sort of goes the furthest. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to watch, I think. It still makes me... When I think of just the opening scene where the guy opens the puzzle box for the first time and then the hooks come out of nowhere and slice up his nipples. Love it. Uh, it m- makes me go... <laughs> <laughs> Every time I haven't seen the remake, uh, I have to say that they've just released a remake of Hellraiser, haven't they? And I've no yeah. idea what it's like. Um, I'm get intrigued, though. Uh, yes, uh, eventually. I mean, I've still not seen there's so many Hellraiser movies, I've only seen three of them. Yeah, but I've only um, seen the f- one, yeah, just the first one. The first one is uh, is the one that I like the most. Um, the second one isn't very good at all but it does have some really interesting visual ideas in it the third one is kind of a fun romp (laughs) I've not seen any of the later ones all of which went straight to video and were kind Ah. of increasingly um, kind of desperate um, yeah like they some of them say Clive Barker presents on them but he really had nothing to do with them and um, and I, I understand that a lot of them were like um the studio was developing a low-budget horror movie. Suddenly, they had the rights to Hellraiser because the rights were going around. So they went, "Oh, let's just turn this script into a Hellraiser script." Yeah. How? Oh, we'll just write about five minutes where Pinhead turns up. Yeah. Um, so put the name on the front of it. Yeah. Yeah. So they they don't really appeal to me. I do think that I, I, in the first in the original Hellraiser, there's an interesting. Um, this is drifting away from the body horror thing. We'll just finish <laughs> this thought. There's an interesting um, tack taken with the Cenobites, the kind of demonic angels, that they're neither good nor evil. Mm. They just kind of do what they do. Um, and they're interested in, in the area between pleasure and pain. Um, and whereas I think the later sequels, they do basically become just monsters. Mm. Um so I'm, I, I'm not really as attracted to that. In the first Hellraiser, the monster is not Pinhead or any of the Cenobites. It's Julia, who's a great villainess, mm. you know, um, uh, who who will who will smash men's brains in to give <laughs> her undead lover sustenance to to rebuild his physical form. You know, I think why not? A, that's a plot. <laughs> Um, and th- th- those, those effects in which I mean the sequence what is it where um, Andy Robinson has just bled uh, has bled in their attic and a few of his 
drops of his blood find his way under the floorboards to where the remains of his dead brother Frank <laughs> are. And then the, the blood is absorbed by the remains and then Frank bursts from the floorboards as a kind of half-recreated corpse. It's just an incredible sequence, you know. Um, <laughs> just for two minutes of nothing but Bob Keane's amazing visual effects and, mm. and also the incredible score on that movie by Christopher yeah. Young. Um, and I don't know why the bit <laughs> where um, it's like Frank uh, reconstitutes in two different bits. Like the brain comes to life over here and then further on the other side of the floor like the, the, the spine comes to life and then like the spinal cord reaches over to the brain and shoots and joins it. Somehow that's really gross. <laughs> I don't <laughs> quite know why, because it is the opposite of, you know, of what violence in a movie normally is. It's not something being destroyed or a person being violated. It's the coming together of things, and it should be like watching flowers in slow motion <laughs> bloom, you know. But it's um, so is actually very sweet. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's uh, yeah, it. Gro so gross is the key word, isn't it? You know, it's just like, la, 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 la. <laughs> I don't yeah. watch that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, uh, I asked uh, our friend Kirsty um, on, on the Messenger um, if she had particular um, body horror highlights. And one of the things she mentioned was Slither, the James Gunn movie from 2007. Um, I've not seen that. I guess no, me neither. <laughs> um, um, so I, I can't, we can't yeah, really we'll move over that one then. <laughs> but it's all about like people turning into slugs or something. So well, I think that the, just that concept put me off it. And there is a weird dividing line where sometimes uh, you, you know something is too gross, and I'm not. I mean, maybe it's because slugs are already they're in already life, gross, not very, aren't they? Not very nice. Sorry that you know. No. What were you going to say there, Stuff? Well, with with Slither, or Slithers, Slither. Mm -hmm. Um, when when I was I was reading back over over the messages in Messenger, and I thought I thought Kirsty put Shivers. Oh yeah. Which is the Cronenberg the Cronenberg mm. film, um, but you know that counts as body horror as well. Oh, Shivers definitely does. That's mm. his first film, and that's the mm. one in which people in a Canadian sort of futuristic um, tower block are all basically raped by weird little slug shit monsters. Weird little slugs that look like little poos, yeah. And, yeah, and, and they all um, and, and all the people who've been infected by them turn into like sex crazed zombies. They do. Um, I remember what a, I mean, that's how to make a debut. I mean I mean, you know. everyone paid attention, didn't they? <laughs> but, I mean, I mean, shivers aside from the gross little poo worms that make everyone fuck each other all through the film yes the, the context of the film is really interesting and like all the metaphors and messages that you can read into the film are, are all really fascinating um but it's just it's like david did you have to make it look like a live poo <laughs> <laughs> Did yeah. did you have to yeah. do that? Because all of the all of the commentary on the sexual revolution and sex being political and the pro choice movement and the liberating nature of the sexual revolution and the little 
it parasites being sort of metaphors for mm. the spread of this new philosophy and just that one boring white guy being left at the end and he has to succumb to it all like all oh, that's fantastic and i love that but then it's mm. just like ugh. <laughs> i feel like cronenberg <laughs> cannot let us off the hook <laughs> yeah. even when it's you know he's like saying I know you all like sex, but you know but. it's like basically the same as a virus, right? We're all just, uh, um, you know. Uh, yeah, cheers, he, David. Um, <laughs> he, he he's big up. I, mean, I love that quote. I think it was around the time that he was making Dead Ringers, where he said, mm -hmm. "I can conceive of a beauty contest where all the models would come up on the stage and then unzip themselves and present their finest organs <laughs> to be judged," you know. Uh. <laughs> he does seem to kind of see human beings as as, as just meat. Which just, I mean, you just know, meat bags. He's, yeah, he's very clear-eyed about it in a way, um, mm. and 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 that theme. Well, he's he's clear-eyed about it, but I think he he recognizes the unease of it. I mean, I haven't seen his latest film, uh, Crimes of the Future, no, which ironically either. is like a remake of his very first short film that he made at university back in the late sixties. Because yeah. um, he went, he's gone away from body horror for a long time, and mm. he's, so his last one was um, Existence, I think, in '99, which I've still never seen. Um, but now he's come back to it after after two decades. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think it. I I've heard reviewers say that it's maybe a bit too detached now. Right. Um, but I I I think in his earlier films, there's all there is a sense of human being struggling with the idea of who am i am i the body or am i the soul mm -hmm. is you know how does it all work it you know am i more than just meat um and am <laughs> i and, and also there's a sense of self-disgust there's like the higher um aspirations of a, like a lot of Cronenberg characters are like kind of very high achieving high highly ambitious scientists and people like yeah. that who've got great lofty ideals but then who are overcome by either their own bodies or you know um uh or or, or baser things mm -hmm. and therefore the film's kind of run through with this theme of uh, of kind of self-disgust and and trying to rise above yourself but not being able to um which i i think that in a way um it's maybe the timing of Cronenberg's emergence as a filmmaker with the uh, emergence of those kind of visual effects that mm. led to a little moment of perfect cinema. Because yeah. if Cronenberg had come around at a different time, mm -hmm. his films wouldn't have worked. No. And if it hadn't been Cronenberg, I mean, there are other good kind of body horror filmmakers, but probably none that articulate... Mm -hmm. those kind of themes as well as he did and and, yeah. and kind of because in a lot of non-Cronenberg movies you know you might have um, great body horror sequences this um, Tetzo is is another example of, mm -hmm. of, a, of a movie that does what Cronenberg does but most movies just use body horror for a, a bit of a plot development or two yeah um, or um and that that's great fun as well and or, or for a shock effect or something yeah for the Not, shocking uh, bit another one that i really like is um the bit in robocop where oh, the needlessly yeah. violent bit in robocop <laughs> where, where the guy gets covered in toxic waste i, I love it I, wa I watched that when i was seven 
or so. <laughs> and you turned out fine. And, uh, well, um, oh, so... The noise that he makes, I will never get the noise of him just going... Ooh. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah well, right. The, I'll put you in the position. Okay, so I was seven. Robocop okay. had just come out on video. I... Yep thought what a fun idea a robot policeman i want to watch oh, this so oh, bless i got dad. i got my older brother to get it out <laughs> from the video shop for me but he'd already seen it so he knew oh, what i was in for bastard and when that scene came around bearing in mind that i was already quite traumatized you know this is a film that has a man being kneecapped and then blown and the, it's the bit do you remember the the, the bit where uh, Miguel Ferrer gets shot in the knees and then <laughs> and then uh, and then um, Kurtwood Smith does a kind of very sexy pulling the pin out of this hand grenade with his tongue and yeah. then leaves the hand grenade on the table and just waves <laughs> bye bye and Miguel Ferrer tries to, to crawl over to it but can't quite get there fast enough because he's been shot in the legs because he's been shot yeah. in the legs yes so I was already quite tender from a whole film's worth <laughs> of bits like that. Yeah. And then uh, the toxic waste scene happened. The the van crashes into the van yeah. the toxic waste, the back doors open, the guy falls out, rolls along, gets up, starts going <laughs> and I just didn't really understand what was supposed to be happening. And I was looking at it and looking at his weird fingers and just not really like, sure thinking is he turning into a monster what's going on i don't understand and then my brother just went he's melting melting <laughs> okay your brother's mean <laughs> well of in robocop the first time i saw it i don't remember how old i was but i reckon i must have been somewhere between 16 and 18 because it was in the period of time where every saturday night we used to go to the video shop in Hyde, only a few doors down from uh, Dr. Shipman's surgery, I might add. Um, right. Wow. And we'd rent a video, we'd rent a couple That's of horror, horror. horror films. I know, exactly. Mm. And in Robocop, the bit that bothered me the most, and the bit that I still find unsettling, is the first bit in the office where they've got their prototype with, robot with the thing and it, and it starts yeah. And, yeah. It, and it goes wild and it shoots and it just murders, massacres everyone in the office. And I found that, that moment of everyone. <laughs> unable to get out and you could get that in a, in a thriller any kind mm -hmm. of film but they're all stuck in the office they're all screaming and they're trying to get out and it just mows everyone down that scared the shit out of me and it really really bothered me and it was years mm -hmm. years and years later that i started to think that 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 moment of being stuck in a place of work or a, or a place of education in america and being shot at happens all the fucking time and it's like mm -hmm. oh god that's why that's so unsettling because that just happens but the yeah. rest of the film i i enjoyed you know as, as a piece of sci-fi horror with the with the gory bits and the <laughs> melting yeah. bit and it was the rest of the film i enjoyed but that bit really gave me the the heebie-jeebies as it were do, do you do you know the censorship story relating to that scene oh no but go on so um Basically, Paul Verhoeven, the director, wanted that mm. scene to be funny. He was playing it all for laughs. He wasn't funny. <laughs> so, well, um, let me explain what he's going for. So when, when the guns fire, when the Ed mm. fires at the, the one guy, yeah, he shoots at him and he shoots him dead, but then he carries on shooting for ages and basically just reduces the guy's body to absolute mush. Yeah. 
and that and that's where it becomes funny because you realize the excess of it it's like it keeps shooting at him long after he's dead it just I keeps shooting <laughs> but the thing is the american censors went this is this is too violent you've got to cut this down so they yeah. cut it down to the bare minimum which yeah. made it more shocking and not funny right. anymore yeah so, but the, well, the director's cut has been released now and it's on dvd and blu-ray and, and you can see that version of the scene in i the still film. don't think i'll find it funny <laughs> right. well thank thank you censors you actually made the film i made that sequence utterly terrifying yeah yeah um yeah you know what really disturbs me about that scene having watched it loads of times i mean i do think overall it's it's quite a funny scene in, <laughs> now but it's the bit when, when the ed 209 starts to say you were in violation of yeah, penal code, whatever. You have twenty seconds to comply. To so there is a there is a twenty comply. second there is a twenty second countdown before it fires. Yeah, it's so scary. And during that <laughs> countdown, everyone in the room realizes that it's going to shoot at him. So they all get away from him. It's like, and and he tries to. It's like you know, help me, help me, and they all push him away. It's like just get away from me. It's going to shoot you. And, and, the the complete lack again it's kind of satirically deliberate the the absolute lack of compassion so shown scary. in the room and then the um uh dan o'hurley the villain from halloween three mm -hmm. um at the end he plays the boss and, it, and at the end of that scene after the, the violence has stopped the survivors kind of look up and he looks at his deputy and says the line which the single line which he the actor said was the reason why he signed on to the film he said it's the best line of dialogue i've ever <laughs> had to say just after this massacre has occurred he looks at his <laughs> second in command and says dick i'm very disappointed <laughs> <laughs> at which point i'm hiding behind the sofa <laughs> <laughs> so, um, oh god but, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I I think Verhoeven, um, given his his later sci-fi movies and also, uh, which had like Total Recall and, and Starship Troopers and oh, Hollow I love Total Recall. Um, um, I quite like it. I'm not a huge huge fan, but I've only, I've only seen it twice, I think. But um, you it's know, not enough. Again, <laughs> that's pr I mean, it's one of those movies that I know I'm going to watch again. I've recently rewatched re Starship Troopers for the first time since it came out. It's on Disney Plus for anyone who yeah. wants to check it out, and it's actually cracking. It's much better than I, I even realised at the time. Yeah. Uh, and again, it just has. I mean, I know it's it's a space war kind of movie, but it also has like ridiculously violent moments that don't need to be that violent. <laughs> yeah. Like the bit where a soldier is accidentally shot during um, a training exercise. And the bullet just goes into his head and his head basically explodes in a wonderfully, you know, old school practical effect that they had mm -hmm. to build up uh, like a model head for this kind like of thing. A, um, like in what is it in scanners? With the... Well, exactly. Yeah. And that that was kind of the moment where uh, practical makeup effect and Cronenberg came together. I think I read an interview with him where he said that they were preparing to shoot that scene. And a box arrived at his office, which had the model head in it. And he opened, <laughs> he opened the box and went, "My God, it looks real!" <laughs> like, I didn't expect it to be this good. Yeah. And maybe I, I think that's probably the moment that put him on the path of thinking, yeah. "I can do stuff with this." 
Um, I can do this. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, whereas Verhoeven, whereas Cronenberg wants to explore it, but also makes you feel uneasy, mm -hmm. I think Verhoeven just explores, just uses body horror as a kind of fuck you. It's like, yeah. yeah by the way, um, you know, you're massively vulnerable, and you're just a bit of skin and bone, and and therefore nasty nasty things happen quite randomly often to quite innocent people yeah. in, in Paul Verhoeven movies and also that the bit in Robocop that we've just been talking about <laughs> is another moment like the bit in the thing where a character on screen gets to react to the gore kind of as mm. as, as the audience do it's what so yeah. the melting man is running across the road and the car <laughs> hits him and he just <laughs> splooshes over oh. the windshield and the guy driving the car just goes shit <laughs> <laughs> what else are you gonna say oh no <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna leave a stain yeah oh dear so, uh. Uh, so I mean what else can we uh, we think of I, I have to say you know in the early 80s there was kind of a low budget underground movement of, of body horror movies or specifically melt movies and i've never mm -hmm. had the courage to watch them because probably because of my experience with robocop um i've always been bothered by the idea of people melting yeah um, uh, i did watch an australian movie called body melt which was right. early 90s um and the tagline is amazing if you ever see this dvd in in a uh well probably a, a pound shop or something now um i just found it in i think fop or somewhere like that do you remember fop i wonder oh, if they're still fop. around i don't I wonder if they know. made it <laughs> yeah um anyway um the, t the, <laughs> the reason i bought the dvd was the tagline which was Stage one, hallucinations. Stage two, organ failure. Stage oh, three, body melt. That's, that's quite the jump from hallucinations to organ <laughs> yes. failure. There's no yeah. nausea, you know, fainting, temperature, fever. That's true, that's true. Hallucinations but, uh, and then... <laughs> hallucinations are probably cheaper to film, I think. That's sort of... oh, also, yes, so the lead actor... Double exposure will do it. Is uh, the lead actor in that movie is Harold Bishop from Neighbours? So oh, that was just before weird. or after Neighbours? I think during. Or during. It's early nineties, and, that, and it, um, he got had, had he, he walked into the sea with amnesia by then? <laughs> oh right. Oh yeah. Well, I think it was certainly before Harold Bishop's temporary death because he does come back, doesn't he? He does come back. Yeah. Didn't think we'd end up at Neighbours. Yeah. <laughs> Tonight's, yeah, the, tonight's I knew this body horror discussion would go into some interesting directions, <laughs> but um, I'm just looking at my copy of Halliwell's film guide now because right. there's a, a detail about body melt that I just want to read. Um, I just want to make sure I get it right. Because um, all of the days when you could just buy film guides and look through them, and, and there's a title that you've never seen before, and you go, Oh, I must see that eventually. And this happened with body melt. I We've got one downstairs, it. a film guide, and it, what it does in our house is our front room curtains aren't quite big enough. So 
our film guide sort of when you close the curtains you put the film guide on top of the curtain on the windowsill to kind of kind of jam it closed <laughs> in my house and a massive th- thesaurus on the other side <laughs> to be fair the good film guys were door stops I yes mean, huge keeps uh, my curtains closed stops uh, me getting a draft <laughs> Halliwell's film going stopped being published in I think 2006 and they were even yep. saying then they can't make it any bigger so every no. time they brought out a new edition they had to eliminate like a hundred or a thousand films in order wow. to to include the, the the last year's crop of movies, so it was just not working. And how how do you but, choose? Yeah, exactly. Um, it just there's an omitted films list. Here we are, body melts. Right. Yeah, so it's like you get a list at the start of the book which says these films are not in this book. So it's like they've <laughs> gone through all all the annals of films and selected like the thousand films that people find least interesting and eliminated. <laughs> But yeah, so Body Melt, it's an Australian film from 1993. Uh, d- written by Philip Brophy and Rod Bishop and directed by Philip Brophy. Uh, the lead actor is Ian Smith. That's Harold Bishop. Is it? Um, but he says here, just as a note, just like an interesting note of trivia, it says, the film's credits include the unusual lines, testicles, Philip Brophy. Buttocks, Maria Krosik. <laughs> so, like, I don't know if that means the director was willing to have his own testicles in the film, or whether that means he made the testicles. <laughs> but either way, I think that's pretty uh, impressive. I'm, uh, I, I don't know if I want to know the answer. Are <laughs> 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 they your nads? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what happened to Philip Brophy in his career. Alas, I hope he. He ended up doing something fun. Cause, um, <laughs> Sounds like he was doing something fun. Contributed to the cultural <laughs> discourse in, at any rate. Um, and, you know, so, we've uh, saluted his nutsack this evening. So Absolutely. So we talked a lot about kind of 80s, 90s mm. um, movie body horror and, and kind of the beginnings in the 70s um, with the early Cronenberg and with kind of early uh, kind of gore horror movies because obviously the mm-hmm. 70s is where slashers begin but also you got yeah. things like The Exorcist which had those um, I think Oscar nominated makeup effects yeah. on Regan which which you know I mean the fact that um, I, I can't it's a while since I've seen the film I'm sure that I'll, I'll re-watch it some point soon because Ian will make me um, yes. but <laughs> uh, certainly in the book it's kind of clear that uh, Regan, the girl who's possessed by the demon, she slashes her own face with the mm-hmm. with the edges of the crucifix, which is why her face goes. You know, it's how they create the demonic shape of the face is the kind of welts she makes mm. by slashing her own face. Um, that was probably the, the first movie to kind of go that far. Um, there's also a movie which. Um, it's probably been mentioned on this podcast a few times between me and Howard. Um, it's not a great movie, but I do think it's really fascinating. It's called the Devil's Rain. Um, Devil's Rain. It's, rain it's, as in pouring rain or rain as in monic rain? Uh, pouring rain. Pouring the, rain. The idea is that... Um, it's basically... It's, a, it's an American horror movie about um, satanic cults. It's got John okay. Travolta in it in, in a yeah. very early role. 
um, kind of pre-carry. Um, but at the end of it, well, uh, well, actually, throughout the film, a lot of people who've been affected or possessed by Satan, they kind of melt. It's, it's after the devil's finished with them, they, they just melt away to nothing. Right. And it's kind of 1974 um, effects. Uh, but it's still kind of quite shocking. It's just so weird. Right. Um, especially when later <laughs> the in the movie it, it happens to actors like William Shatner is in it. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Ernest Borgnine. It's quite a weird cast. Um, it's on. Well, it's been like on horror from a, a lot, um, so it might turn up on Legend. Um, so it's worth keeping an eye out for. But it's yeah, also got. Um, I, I've definitely said this on the podcast before, but maybe not for several years. So apologies if you already heard this. But it's got one of the greatest credits, which is something like Satanist consultant. Dr. Anton M. LaVey, who is the actual head of the Church of Satan in America. I, had to, I later did some research and realised that the Church of Satan are not literally Satanists. They don't believe in the devil. No. They're, they're like an atheistic cult who use yes. the, the apparel of um, kind of a reverse Christianity as yeah. they're kind of making a point. But, yeah. um, but he's they are actually. Quite interesting. Yeah, um, and he's yeah. in the film. He plays like one of the the, oh, right. the, the main cultists in the movie. So well, I need to watch it now. That sounds up for a laugh. hilarious. The Devil's yeah. Reign. Written it down with my list. <laughs> I've always got a list. <laughs> hey, no, it, it's worth checking out. Um, it, yeah. It's weird. It's got a really strange mood to it. Right. Um, I do think, yeah. It's, and it's, it's in worth the, a set From the 70s? Yeah, 74, I think. Right. Um, or 75, yeah. I'll find, um, I'll find it. No, it's good fun. Um, but yeah, if we go kind of outside that sort of 70s to 80s to yeah. early 90s thing, what do we do? We think that body horror exists beyond that? Is it is it entirely tied to those kind of makeup techniques and things? I mean, obviously, I feel like Kirsty will kill me if I don't say this, but, you know... The, the the core root of body horror is the core root of nearly all horror, I guess, which is the novel Frankenstein. I mean, that's like the ultimate body horror storyline, mm. isn't it? So that's where it all comes from. But um, I, I feel like um, a lot of the visualizations of that story prior to well. There isn't a big like nineteen eighties version of Frankenstein, is there? So, so I don't think there is a really kind of no. gruesome Frankenstein movie. They, even though it's about building a man out of bits of corpses, Dead body parts. Think, yeah, I think most of the movies approach that as kind of slightly surreal. So you know, like Boris Karloff with his square yeah. head and his neck yeah. bolts and things. Um, th there's a kind of artfulness to the way they do it. Um, and yeah, so in a way, we've never had a full, a full-on, really gruesome Frankenstein. And then when you get to the nineties and you do Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which I hope we'll be talking about soon. Um, again, that's kind of that plays off the pathos and the humanity mm -hmm. of it. So actually, yeah. there isn't a lot of body horror in that either. Mm. Um, I would like to see the the Roger Corman one called. Frankenstein Unbound that was made in 1991 mm. I've never seen it, it's got an amazing cast it's about the, the plot's incredible, it's uh, John Hurt 
plays a time traveller who goes back in time <laughs> and meets Mary Shelley, but somehow also meets Frankenstein. Like the the, the fiction and reality gets mixed together. Mm-hmm. So it's got like Raoul Julia in it playing Dr. Frankenstein. And then it's got... And I think Bridget Fonda plays Mary Shelley. It's like, it's really early it's 90s and it's really odd. Um, so it's an unusual cast. Uh, so I've got to talk about that. I've got to I've got to watch that movie so I can talk about it. I've spent twenty years avoiding watching it, but yeah. So that, <laughs> because it's that period, because it's Roger Corman who's kind of known for disreputable horror, that might be quite a nasty one. But I don't know. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, well, it's, maybe we could do we could do a, a Frankenstein series. <laughs> Oh well, you know, th- th- there's there's no shortage of movies. No, exactly. Like, yeah. As as with Dracula and um, mm-hmm. as with you know Sherlock Holmes. I, yeah. I think Frankenstein is like the third uh, member of that select group of, yeah. of characters who've been filmed a million times. Done. Yeah. Done. Done. Uh, done. Will just never be stopped. They'll never stop filming them. No. Um, yeah. But um. So um. Do we? Do you think that there's there is kind of body horror more recently? Do you think what what do you think of these days? When I'll tell you what I'm gonna before I let you answer the question that I just asked you, I would just mention we've both talked about the strain a lot on this yeah. podcast, and I do think that um, that's an example of um, you know it's obviously there's a hell of a lot of CG, but it, mm-hmm. the way they do it. Um, is quite compelling and woozy mm-hmm. um and it that brings us on I, I think inevitably to like the walking dead which is yeah kind of full-on body horror but it's obviously cgi it's all i mean the first time i saw the Some walking of it. Dead, i couldn't believe how violent it was mm-hmm. you know you just got absolutely we love it as we discussed just, um, just kept coming and they you know put a lot of effort into having um like the the hero zombies, so the the ones that you see in close up and the walkers of the week. So even though the threat of the zombies has gone way to the sidelines mm. in recent years, it's all about the people. They still have what, at least one a week that is something different about it. So maybe it's melted into the asphalt, or maybe it's waterlogged, or maybe it's kind of part of a tree, or you know. Mm. So there'll be there'll be a, a, a walker or zombie every week that's got something special about it that is all practical practical effects because Nicotero won't let it all be completely CG. Oh, um, so yeah, the, the Walking Dead has done a really good job of keeping it. You know that the story's gone all over the place, and I would I would argue that season nine and season ten there's it's gone back to being absolutely on form and being fantastic again. And it's going to end. Right. They've got six episodes left. <laughs> um, oh, but yeah, they, they've stayed. They've kept the walkers all looking fantastic. There was two yeah. things that what I wanted to mention in terms of more contemporary things of, of body horror. Um, so two things to mention and then two other tiny things to point people in the direction of to look at body horror that isn't necessarily in horror. But before I get to that, the first one is a film called Teeth. Have you oh, seen yeah. that? That's about I've seen the, it. The, the again, vagina the... dentata myth. Yeah, so, I, I, I get it's another one. Oh, it's so maybe good. A little, bit, a little bit tentative, so to speak. <laughs> yes. it, uh, I've been yeah. freaked out by the whole idea of that one. So. Yeah. So the but... vag- vagina dentata myth. So the, the myth that the, the vagina or a vagina could possibly have teeth. 
Um, so there's this girl, she's called Dawn. She's a member of the Chastity Club in America, you know, saving herself for marriage. Um, she goes through puberty. Obviously, there's a lot of horror that deals with the horror of the body and puberty. Mm, mm. A lot of werewolf texts deal with this, you know, yes. Carrie, all, all those things. Um, but she discovers that her vagina does indeed have teeth and she finds it when she's she's with her boyfriend and they're going a little bit further than she would she would like she wants to them to save themselves for marriage but he he pushes it and uh he, he's, he's raping her essentially but her vagina <laughs> does what it needs to do completely right. castrates him and we get a lovely shot of his castrated penis on the floor <laughs> with him in complete paroxysms of horror and then she i won't spoil the film for you because you've not seen it now but she goes off with her uh with her toothed fanny and goes and uh, <laughs> <laughs> she goes on a big mission and uh yeah it's, it's a really really excellent excellent film the the actor who plays dawn who plays the central character plays it completely straight it's it's fantastic it's really right. worth a watch and then the other one that I wanted to mention as like a contemporary idea of body horror, and it and it does link to Verhoeven and the and the meltingness is Planet Terror, with oh, yeah, all of yeah. the viral kind of like zombies, but not like they're covered in boils and pustules and they're sort of leaking and and then they're, they're going <laughs> to themselves as they're wandering around and killing people, and then mm-hmm. you've got that nurse and she ends up with the syringes for fingers. And oh, yeah, Cherry, yeah. of course, played by Rose McGowan, who who we all love, ends yes. up with a leg being a being a, a, a machine gun. gun. Leg. Fucking, yeah, yeah. fucking brilliant! But so, Planet yeah, Terror's pl- got loads of of body horror in it. Planet Terror is the, the Robert Rodriguez's half yes. of the of the grime Grind, grindhouse double bill yeah. that he he and Tarantino made, and yeah. they were originally supposed to be released as a double bill, but then yeah. The distributors kind of lost faith in that idea and mm. released them both as slightly extended single movies. Yeah. But in 2007, gosh, so long ago, but it seems quite <laughs> recent. Uh, they did do occasion, you know, quite um, limited screenings of the Grindhouse versions of it. So I saw it in the original cut, which is brilliant because um, you get the the trailers in between the films yeah. as well. Yeah. So you've got a trailer directed by Edgar Wright, and you've got another yeah. one directed by Rob Zombie and a few different filmmakers, which are mostly Brilliant. hilarious. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, and I just had such a hoot with Planet Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, so good. Yeah. One of my favourite Bruce Willis performances, I would say. I think he's fantastic in it. Yeah, oh, God bless. He's yeah, really he's very good. funny. He's very funny. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's just everyone just plays it straight, don't they? They're just like, it's, it's, it's brilliant. And then yeah, yeah. the last thing I wanted to point to is body horror happening in other other places, other genres. And um, I did write about this in my PhD, was um, the quite frequent use of body horror in what we would consider medical drama. Oh, yeah. So uh, the American drama Nip Tuck, which was a Ryan Murphy, one of Ryan Murphy's early vehicles. Um, so Nip Tuck is about uh, plastic surgeons Yes, I remember. So it's, it. I've seen it. It's, it's very good, but you know, it's got loads of extended sort of surgery sequences, and then we have body horror cropping up in um, sort of the like crime procedural dramas, like Silent Witness, where mm. you know we, we've got the corpse on the table and we've got very quite protracted scenes of the body being looked at in good detail, while the body, you know, tells the story of, of how it ended up on on the 
on the examining table in the first place. But they're quite visceral and they're quite gory. And yeah. sometimes you see the murder, particularly in Silent Witness, you would sometimes see the murder and you see the corpse in, in situ where it landed, I guess. And then you see it again on, on the table at the at the pathology lab. But, you know, it's, it's, it's quite, quite, well, yeah, visceral. But, you know, yeah. it's h- hidden in this veil of straight, serious procedural drama. And it's, oh, yeah. but it's just right there. I mean, twi- um, so <coughs> excuse me, dear Roddy. Um, Silent <laughs> Witness is like twenty-five years old this year, but I'm pretty oh, sure God. I remember that when. It, yeah, I mean, it's still going. <laughs> They've not stopped making it, and yeah, I think enough. every episode is available on the BBC iPlayer. It was until yeah. recently. Um, well, there's something to do this but, winter. Watch all them. But I do remember that when it started, it was considered very shocking the, mm-hmm. the amount of detail they went into, and this was like pre-CSI and, yeah. and things like that. Uh, yeah. It was a, a, a very dark for a, a crime drama. I mean, you know, in the mid nineties, when you know the main competition is like Inspector Frost and things like <laughs> Midsummer that. Midsummer Murders. Yeah. Um, oh dear. Although, yeah, um, <laughs> uh, Midsummer Murders goes for the comedy death quite a lot, but yes. not, for, not for the body horror, sadly. No. Um, um, <laughs> Although somebody probably who's seen every episode will be able to point us in in the direction yeah. of one. Answers on a postcard, will, and uh, we won't read they, it. They will do. <laughs> no, well, they will do anything <laughs> they can to come up with an interesting death. So mm. who knows? But um, yeah, uh, I mean, I've mentioned this to you before. You know, um, casualty always used to frighten yeah. me very much. Oh, absolutely, scared the shit out of me. I always remember the one with the kid who was in a shell suit and she set herself on fire. And the shell oh, suit melted gee. to her body. That's oh. the sound of her spinning around a room in a shell suit on fire. I can still hear that. Oh, that, gee. That scared me. Yeah, yeah. And then um, um, we've already given it a mention, but I I, I think um, Silent Witness brings us to Hannibal. Yes, Because uh, um, they both feature extensive gore, especially Hannibal, obviously. But yep. with Hannibal, well, with both, it's kind of mostly post-mortem. You don't see mm-hmm. a lot of actual violence mm. in Hannibal, as we've discussed on the episodes of that. But what you do get is incredibly baroque, detailed, yeah. gruesome, nightmarish yeah. kind of death tableau in it. Staged, yeah. yeah. You know, and the, um, with the camera panning up and down and, you know, going back and yeah. forth and across, across the stage body r- repeatedly and then... They stay in the room for a while, just talking about what they're going to do. While Will has his has his visions, little weirdo yeah. that he is. Um, sorry, Kirsty. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, they they don't they show it to you in good detail, and then they stay in the room. And when they're in the room for the minutes afterwards, sometimes it's still there and it's out of focus, but but it's still there at the edge of the frame all the time. Yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. just it, you know this. The, the arm is still there or whatever and it's just like oh and you know and it, for network tv even in the you know the height of the horror boom it was still troubling on on network tv they were still a bit unsure about it but which you know which i talked about in the hannibal episode but they don't they don't hold back and it was kind of cushing cushioning it inside the procedural mm. kind of is how they got away with it by putting it inside inside the sort of clouding it slightly with the people that are looking at this are the good guys. They're going to get something good out of this. They're going to solve this. We're not just watching, you know, the 
the unhinged murderer do it over and over and over again like you said we don't really see it happen we just mm. see the aftermath and the aftermath is done through the lens of the good guys in the procedural drama you mentioned werewolves um mm-hmm. which made me just think briefly of of dog soldiers which obviously we talked oh. about um, oh my daughter watched that for the first time the other week it was finally time to let her watch dog soldiers oh fantastic she yeah, loved it go. loved oh, it brilliant yeah but, <laughs> Uh, anyway, sorry. <laughs> well, yeah. So, which I just want to mention because although it's not in itself a great um, body horror example, because you don't really see the the werewolf transformations and things like that. Mm. But um, Neil Marshall does end up directing some of the the key episodes of Hannibal, just mm-hmm. as Vincenzo Natale, who we talked about earlier with Cube, he does as well. Um, mm. And I think it kind of speaks to the sort of generic precision of yes. Hannibal, the show, that they um, they chose kind of the top talents. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, the kind of top proven talents, but also clearly gave them a very strict framework to work within. As in, you know, this is Brian Fuller has a vision for how we do this. We don't see yeah. the violence. It's, everything is kind of ornate. Um, mm. um and yeah a lot of the times the most disturbing stuff is when it's just an out of focus thing in the background yeah and it's just still in the room yeah like um, the one i always think of is when when beverly Katz gets sliced and she's putting all those perspex oh yeah perspex yeah. boxes you know things and it's like a, like a damien hurst art yeah. piece but they're just in the room for so long and they're just moving around and because she's in so many slices like if you watch that scene again that like, there's not a shot for minutes where there isn't a bit of one of the slices in shot and it's just like oh god leave the room <laughs> i don't yeah, want to see this true. anymore i liked that character <laughs> you know yeah, and no, she, and hannibal yeah, does great. the confusing thing that we talked about on our episodes where there is all this body horror and it is really visceral but it's also beautiful so it's yeah. it's yeah. troubling or it looks delicious <laughs> and you're like oh for god's sake <laughs> yeah because like because of the way that beverly Katz is presented yeah she's been sliced up but if you look at all the slices from a certain angle, she still looks like herself and she yeah. still looks alive. Um, and yeah. But then it's presented as art. It's inviting you to look at it like you were you would be in a gallery. Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. I don't wanna <laughs> And it's and it's brilliant. Um I guess it's not makeup at this point. It, mm. it it's a it's it's a brilliant kind of um art direction special effects piece yep. it, it looks really like a sliced up person it really does. but it's also so and it's beautiful and horrible at the same time and your yeah. eye is drawn to it um i think for listeners who've not heard this before we have done two episodes talking about hannibal in detail the first two series we will do an episode soon yes. discussing the third series which is the the one that neil marshall works on and I think we'll we'll talk about we'll have a lot of fun talking about that because yeah. there's some fun stuff there. Although I think we can mention without spoiling anything that another element of body horror that's in Hannibal the show and Hannibal the movie um, is the character of Mason Verger, the guy who sliced off his own face, uh, sliced off his own nose and then ate it. <laughs> oh. Yes. <laughs> so in the movie where he's played by Gary Oldman, that's a Dick Smith makeup design. Mm-hmm. So it's um, Dick Smith who designed the makeup and the Exorcist came back to do, um, to do Hannibal. Uh, I think that's right. It seems a long time after, but um, if I'm talking nonsense, please correct me in the comments. 
But uh, <laughs> and then in the series of Hannibal, where you get to see Mason as a young man before the disfigurement, but oh, then God. you see him after it as well, um, and they do something kind of similar. But in both cases, you've got this kind of um, cadaverous visage um, or visage that you get a real good look at and mm -hmm. um, the actors playing Mason have got to develop a funny way of sort of saying carry lines without having any lips <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's all kind of like this um, it's like he it turns into a, it's like he turns into a Batman villain that's what he, he feels like a comic book villain at that stage it's fantastic right. I yeah, well, no, I think he is, and he's he's a great villain actually mm -hmm. in 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 every version, because mm -hmm. even in the series of Hannibal, he's played by two different actors, and I think he's um, which I he's didn't fun. bloody notice. <laughs> I watched it all back to back. It was only when Kirsty said, "I was like, huh, <laughs> oh yeah, it's oh, two different guys." Well, totally didn't I'm notice. I'm really glad because I didn't either until oh, Kirsty said to me. So. Yeah, and I, so I was watching it for. Uh, I was in the intense book writing period so I was just episode after episode watch it watch it watch it I'm on the clock and yeah I just <laughs> I did not notice so you know good good job on those two actors <laughs> ah nice I've just had a, a random thought of something mm. which um uh is rarely talked about um did it's about 10 years old now did you ever see Torchwood Miracle Day the the fourth Torchwood series that was kind of the American co-production no, Dan. Uh, but, uh, I thought you might not, but I, um, uh, I think you. <laughs> anyway, um, it's got quite a lot of Walking Dead crossover, and is it? The, the, it does, yeah. The, lots of the directors are the same. Oh, um, because it started off in uh, it was a it was a British co-production, but most of it was done in America. And a lot of um, and the gore effects in it are done by Nicotero and and Co. Oh. Um, because the idea in Torchwood Miracle Day, which I think is a really good idea, is that something happens which makes death impossible, like all over the world, nobody can die. It doesn't matter how injured you God. are. So That's exhausting. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it's like so. It's like. So the population of the Earth increases very quickly, and it's like, oh my God, there's going to be too many people. Like within like a month, we've got to work out a way of, of doing this. But there's things in it like there's an FBI agent who gets, well, they think they're going to kill her, and so they break a neck, but she doesn't die. She ends up walking along, but with her, her head twisted round backwards. Ah. Um, and the, 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 it's got moments in it like that that definitely make you go oh gee Ooh. um it's a really oh, great cool. concept which they kind of run with to a certain extent it's not very well remembered or or or, or well liked <laughs> but i i mean <laughs> there's there's stuff in it that i think is worth going back to worth uh, a mention so yeah, yeah that that just occurred to me um <laughs> i think I, I certainly think the walking dead crossover kind yeah. of because it, it's weird, it kind of falls between fandoms. The sort of talk yes. from fans of the Doctor Who fans don't really like it because because it was an American co-production. Yeah. It goes yeah. away from what they liked. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, I do think there's... It's like a sort of locus of lots of different fandoms coming together, like Ernie Hudson, isn't it, from Ghostbusters, for right. instance. There's a bunch of Star Trek actors in it. There's like... <laughs> it's a really... 
I, I can see it as like a sort of locus of um, like a Rosetta Stone of sort of yeah, geekiness. Yeah. And also it's <laughs> it's just a really good idea. It does make you think, wow, it's really important that people keep dying. The The first scene yeah. of it is they are, they're executing a guy who's a convicted paedophile and they put the lethal injection in him and he just won't die. <laughs> he just <laughs> sits there screaming because they've like, uh, you know, because he's got poisons in his veins. Yeah, and stuff, but, but it is supposed to hurt. It's not supposed yeah. to be uh, painless. Right. Okay, so Stella and I have just had a bit of a break. It's a few days later now, and we're going to continue this discussion. Um, so, uh, as I remember, Stella, the last thing that you said before the break, where we were talking about the, the death penalty or the lethal injection, and you said, yes, it is meant to hurt. <laughs> and I just want to reassure the listener that we can trust Stella when it comes to this kind of information. <laughs> um, slightly off topic, but, you know, uh, but the right kind of mood. So we we talked a lot around uh, of kind of body horror um, from the eighties to now. Uh, we brought in The Walking Dead and things like that, and that kind of struck me that, um, that an area we'd not covered is talking about the impact of CGI on um, on on how body horror was presented in films and TV. Because he talked about Stella in The Walking Dead. Greg Nicotero, who's the exec producer, I think, and you yeah. know, in charge of the makeup side of things, um, he's keen to keep a balance between CGI mm. and practical. Um, and I think we've achieved... We're now at a point where that kind of balance is very, uh, um, is very effective. But when yeah. CG first came in, in the 90s you had a long period where people would just go hey cg and they do cg everything yeah um and 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 there wasn't that carefully considered balance i mean one um, kind of example of 90s cg gore that i remember quite well um is do you, do you remember a movie called the relic the relic yeah i do it's like it's a monster movie set yeah. in a um new york museum i think like they yeah. they uncover something and it gets loose in this museum and there's a a scene in it where i was very impressed with it at the time um a soldier is trying to run away from the monster and it chases him and grabs him and in one shot it just pulls his head off <laughs> And it's really obvious, even at the time, it's quite obvious that, you know, um, they basically filmed, obviously, the real actor playing the soldier. Mm -hmm. And then a few frames before he his death, they swapped it for a, a CG animation of the character. And then the head comes off. Um, and... and it was quite video gamey and not not particularly scary, but I did. I was thrilled by it at the time because of the fact that they'd been able to do it all in one shot, mm. which you you wouldn't have been able to do pre CGI. I guess I think the thing that CGI brings is uh, more seamlessness yeah. to visuals, but also um, you know often certainly in that time period you know less realism and less maybe 
emotional impact because mm-hmm. um uh well because it just di- didn't look very real even though um you could argue to to some extent that uh, earlier makeup stuff didn't look very real either it's a different kind of unreality but mm. um yeah I, I was wondering how do you feel like cgi affected um that kind of gore stuff and do you remember some early cg gore that wasn't very good or that was good <laughs> uh well with all the stuff that i've done around it by done i guess i mean like research and write about um and stuff that i've that i'm sort of aware of in terms of debates around it because it's usually very much centered in fan culture to to argue about cgi and whether it belongs in horror and and stuff and horror kind of it's sort of fan culture around horror to keep horror as authentic as possible and a marker of authenticity is is practical effects um and lots of fan chatter sort of centers around not really wanting much cgi in there but sometimes it that we have it now and it and it's there and it, and it's pretty good it's relatively cheap it's relatively fast um to do and in terms of budgeting and maybe shooting schedules particularly for horror television using bits of cg is is necessary but then there'll be certain things that will make a big point of not having any cg in them so you mentioned greg nicotero and he of course has done creep show as a series for um shudder Mm-hmm. And lots and lots of their um, promotional material when they were making the the series and when, when it was out was that they kept pushing this idea of we're not using any CG. It's all it's all going to be you know authentic and it's all practical and okay. lots of the chatter around it and lots of the like interviews with cast and crew was all, all lots of it was about it being you know a fairly sort of cult horror text. But then also it was oh you know we're all really proud to not be using any CG and it. it it's just like well while i do see the need and desire for practical effects like you said sometimes they can look just as shonky mm-hmm. um and i i don't it's it's a little bit like how i get mad when people start complaining about remakes before they've even seen them that it's like just because right. something is cg doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be bad or it's a bad example of horror or it's not authentic horror it's just another medium in which to work and create these visual representations of monsters and gore and and things like that and some cg looks good some cg looks bad and the majority of cg people don't even see it they don't even notice it because it's just there to do other things so it's i don't see it as a bad thing it's a thing that's utilized and sometimes is necessary particularly if you're on a short shooting schedule you just can't keep cleaning up all the blood move all the cameras around and shoot the scene again you ju- you, you, you just can't do it so you have to bring in the cg yeah i i think um that's a good argument i also think that the the balance between cg and practical is where it really works yes yeah. i mean yeah. like you said i like you say i think you said it can be just as shonky when it's all practical um mm. i certainly think of um you know a lot of the really impressive 80s um sort of uh body horror movies uh loads of it's amazing but but um there is this thing 
that I think I call like the big head syndrome, <laughs> where um, you know someone's going to suffer a, a serious head trauma suddenly. So suddenly they've got latex all over their head, and and, <laughs> and they look that they, they look about an inch wider around the head, and then something explodes. Um, and in a way, um, I, I can see defending it because when you can, when there's a real fleshiness to it. Mm-hmm. Even if it doesn't really look real, there's a kind of you you have a physical reaction to it. Yeah. It's like whoa, yeah, it's all and, uh, gooey. <laughs> but also the fact that it's kind of um, you know the big head or, or or the overstatingness of it helps you to process it. I think it was um, Brian Yusner who directed the movie Society and produced the Reanimator films, which are mm-hmm. pretty key texts of yeah. of uh, squishy. Um, grossness um, so key that I can't believe I didn't mention them when we were talking about this the other day but he referred to that kind of movie as belonging to something called plastic reality Yeah. so um, they could use those new makeup techniques and new f- uh, photography techniques to just create a kind of visual surrealism um, which is especially true of like society where um, I think uh, I remember a review in Empire said that characters in society melt like mozzarella <laughs> which they do but uh, but they also they stay alive and keep talking and things it's all kind of in a way it's got more in common with like the, the muppety scenes from like Labyrinth with loads of <laughs> little um, characters all chattering away in their bizarreness um, <laughs> than a, a lot of kind of um, more um, traditional horror stuff, you know. Um, but what you've got, if you combine the practical with the CGI, is you can keep um, the really good practical stuff, but also you re- remove the need for the big head. I mean, I, th- I think mm. the thing in The Walking Dead is that you will have like a zombie, and, and it isn't just The Walking Dead, it probably comes from early, sort of 2000s era zombie stuff, like the later Romero films might yeah. do it, and, and the and the remake of Dawn of the Dead and things. You know, you will have a zombie that's clearly played by a real actor, but also half their face is missing. And it's like they didn't slice off half the actor's face. <laughs> so there must be, you know, but because the, the the CG and there's obviously real makeup involved as well and the join is so carefully covered, it, yeah. it, it works entirely. And still doing things like one of um, my favourite zombies is in the first episode of The Walking Dead where I think Rick... Uh, is walking along and he just sees like half a woman lying yeah. near the Bicycle street. Bicycle girl, that's what um, it's called. Okay, <laughs> and and that, you know that's clearly an actor who's underneath mm. the the ground. You know they they've dug a little hole in the ground, put her in it. It's just a head and shoulders, and they've attached a body to it. But it works incredibly well. Um, so this uh, it just looks amazing actually, and they've used CGI so that you can't see the if the join was coming through where you can where see you can some see like entrails as well can't you hanging out yeah, yeah stuff great. like that and it's fantastic um and that's what i think they can do now brilliantly which 
um, which are, you know, which kind of has moved the genre forward. I mm. also think it it might, for me personally, it might sometimes take away a bit of the fun of some horror because uh, this connects to the episode Kirsty and I did a while ago about movies we won't see. It's like if I know a movie has someone's genitals being mutilated in it for instance <laughs> I know, not only do I know that that scene's in it but I also know it's probably going to be pretty convincing now because mm. because yeah. of the, w- the way they've got used to using these different techniques um, so so therefore you know I, I suppose uh, kind of French extremity kind of movies like Martyrs and things like that mm. pro- probably fall under the the rubric of body horror because of the amount of physical nastiness there is in them and things like audition mm. as well although audition, quite, yeah. quite a while ago um uh, and i've kind of avoided them because i think they might be too traumatic <laughs> um you know um when we were talking about paul verhoeven films <laughs> for instance there is a shock factor in the fact that somebody will suddenly get shot in the head and blood yeah. goes everywhere but also there is a like a split second where you, where you can see oh that's not the real person's head they've just cut to a puppet or something and that kind of allows you to go ha 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 that's alright mm. um, whereas I, um, I don't know in a way I think this is weird because I'm talking about movies that I haven't seen but I suspect <laughs> that the technique and the filmmaking has become so good now mm. that um, I would find some of this stuff a bit too traumatic but I will go there and and, and you know uh, make an informed decision about that but I haven't had the courage to yet <laughs> maybe when you get older <laughs> yes yeah that's what I've been saying for 41 years Stella, and I'm not going to stop saying it now <laughs> Well, it's funny that you mention. Well, not funny, but you know, it, it's interesting that you mention this. The notion of being able to see the join. So, there's a study. Uh, it's a whole book. Isabel Pinedo's book, uh, Recreational Terror. Oh, I remember that book. Yeah. yeah, and she talks about the phrase she uses is rupture in the realism, and she talks about how even with quite extreme body horror, gory effects that are intended to be to be quite shocking she was saying that horror the horror viewer will deal with the with the horror by either she said some people will just cover their faces like cover their eyes and, and you know not not turn away from those parts but another thing that plenty of horror fans do according to Pinedo is look for where the cut is so you can see okay now we've gone to the dummy head now we've gone to the prosthetic arm being chopped off mm-hmm. and she's saying that being able to see the join or the rupture in the realism as she calls it helps the viewer to cope with the horror that they're watching and as technology has got well better or different or you know got more complex or whatever that 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 rupture is no longer as easy to see and it was interesting mm in the study that I did so I was expanding on what Pinedo was saying how television as a place for horror was a tricky place to put horror because they didn't want to do anything too visual couldn't do anything too gory but Mm. when The Walking Dead was doing all of its wonderful stuff particularly in the early years they they would do say they like the PR team Nicotero 
they would do extensive interviews with the trade press where they'd they'd break down the scenes where something particularly gory was going on so the scene where Carl is shot in the head and we see like half his like his eye socket shot out and they, they explain really clearly we did this and this is where it's Chandler Riggs and then this is where it's the dummy head and when Rick's running into the house that's not the actor the boy in his arms that, that's a dummy so they, they were pointing to in the trade press here is where the rupture is here is where the cut is here is where the prosthetic is to right. try and ease the tension of putting this stuff on tv but sort of drawing back the curtain i guess to show how how it was done so giving fans or viewers that that little glimpse into how how it's all been put together and, and that's definitely, you know, that's something that horror fans have always done, always trying to recreate yeah. effects and always trying to see, like, where, where does it go from actor to, you know, to the to the foam head that they blow up? And it's quite a, an interesting journey, I thought, that horror has been on, particularly with television, that it used to be that you couldn't show that stuff on TV. And now they are showing that stuff with relish and going, look, look, and this is how we made it. And it's, it's quite yeah. fun to see the journey. Yeah, and um, I, I wonder how much of that is part of, you know, TV, unlike cinema, um, it eats content, doesn't it? You know, mm. a TV channel is on the air for 24 hours a day. Yeah. It's not just a movie in a, in a theatre. And if they want to do a show like The Talking Dead, yes, you know, uh, or a supplementary behind-the-scenes show, it's kind of an interesting way of extending the value time Absolutely. of the the main show that they've made isn't it and for a and lot get... less money <laughs> yes yeah because you don't have to go to the trouble of of hiding the joins yeah you can just sit people in front of a camera and have them talk yeah. about exactly where the joins are yeah um interesting yeah and i think that stuff is really interesting always. Oh, i love it um i do uh, i mean um it, we won't go off on a big tangent about this, and I'm glad Ian's not here because he probably would. <laughs> uh, 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 he'd go on about the Marvel movies, but I know that you love the Marvel movies. I love the Marvel movies, but I get so depressed when I see some of the behind-the-scenes footage. And yeah. It's just just some actors on a blue screen. Yeah, there's nothing sometimes, there. <laughs> sometimes not even wearing the full costume. Yeah. You know, Robert Downey Jr. in some jeans. Yeah. Playing Iron Man is like oh, no, oh no, dear. I want you all to. Be, I want yeah. you in the suit. So, yeah, um, definitely. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, was, was it you? I was talking to. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. About how, with such expansion of, of CG, again, it's in definitely something like Marvel. It's changing the, um, changing the craft of acting. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah. The I, actors that can't see anything. <laughs> yeah, it's all it, they've got to be imaginative in a, yeah. in a different way, and in a way, um, it wasn't me. I don't think I said that, but I yeah. can I, I can agree with that and and relate to it. Uh, in a way, maybe this is the this is the time of the stage actor. You know, I think about like the character in Avengers: Infinity War, who's uh, Thanos's henchman mm-hmm. who flies around. Um, He's played by a totally unknown actor, and you can't even see his face because he's in prosthetics. Um, yeah. But I get the impression he's like, he's like an Irish actor, and he's probably done loads of theatre. And if you've done loads of theatre, you're used to just imagining stuff. You have to mm-hmm. imagine almost everything, yeah. everything except what's immediately like the desk in front of you. Everything beyond that, yeah. the whole world. Whereas um, 
actors who've only ever been on screen and are used to, say, acting on a location or something, suddenly yeah, they're looking studios. at a tennis ball and being told, <laughs> right, this is the dinosaur, you know. Or, and, uh, or, the, or the wolf or werewolf or whatever, yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. But, I mean, um, it's funny uh, because... Marvel keeps coming up on this podcast. I remember we talked about it weirdly on one of the Halloween podcasts that we did, but <laughs> I do think it's a symptomatic of how cinema is changing. Mm-hmm. You know, you get, uh, you know, old school film- filmmakers like Coppola and Scorsese saying that the Marvel films are not really movies. Yeah. And I can sort of understand why they're saying that because it's not the craft that they know. I know, you so know, it's respect. It's, Settle down, Grandad. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. But the point is, the craft is changing. It, Absolutely, it's, it's kind of a big form of animation now. If you want to mm-hmm. um, set out to be a filmmaker now, but you're you've got no, um, uh, you know, no game with with animating and things and and CG and that, then you're gonna struggle. Mm. Um, just as I would, you know. Um, <laughs> I've done some filmmaking, but you know, but my editing knowledge is very basic. I mean, when I was at film studies at uni, we used a Steenbeck to edit with. We were editing on silent sixteen millimeter film, wow. as Kirsty will attest. You know, um, <laughs> we edited for each other, um, and uh, yeah, and and that is the craft that I know and love and respect. But it's it's not the same anymore, you know. Things, mm. different things are coming in. Um, but that's exciting as well because it means you don't know what the limits of the genre are or, or the limits of the form are, you know. Mm. Yeah. Um, and should keep everybody on their toes. But I do think that I, I think maybe we've, there was a point, kind of dragging the discussion back to. The, the the body horror specifically, oh, yeah. but also when CG <laughs> first came in, there was a, a kind of a sense where it's like, now we've got CG, we can do anything. Yeah. So therefore, we will, we don't have to do anything well. We can just do anything. Um, and uh, uh, you know, it's that you question have, isn't it? Just because you can, yeah, <laughs> mean you should. <laughs> Whereas now I think there's enough experience of the yeah. different facets of that that um, it's not that it's not going to continue to change and the the horizons of it are not going to expand. Um, but it is that I think people have, that have had sufficient experience that they know how careful they've got to be about testing the boundaries. Mm. You can't just write a scene and go, yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, we can CGI in that flying dragon. It's been done a million times. Yeah, if if it is a flying dragon, they probably could say that actually because it's been done so often now. <laughs> but but you know, um, uh, anything kind of beyond that, I, th- mm. I think people will be very careful. Um, but uh, yeah, the upshot of this is I I think that we're in a pretty good place for body horror in terms of they've. The filmmakers, like torturers, have got loads of implements <laughs> with which to prod their audience. Yeah. Um, uh, and, yeah, I, I, I don't know how, whether that feels... Well, that, that fills me with trepidation, I think. <laughs> I feel a bit... Be like, careful what bit, you're watching. A little bit helpless, yeah. I was just watching. wondering then, you know how there's that sort of cult-like affection 
for old special effects that now look like we said really shonky the practical mm. effects that, that on reflection with maybe you know 40 years hindsight you look at that and think god <laughs> that was bad yeah. is that going to happen with the first cgis that will that they'll have that some affection around them yeah it's interesting isn't it that's a really good question i mean from my point of view it feels like i just want to say no <laughs> because yeah. they're, they're not good enough but um I might that might be me becoming an old man, you know. People who were a bit younger than than us in the nineties and the two thousands, um, and found that that work incredibly exciting. I also mm. think of the, like the bit at the end of Blade. Do you remember uh, the ending of Blade where Stephen Dorff turns into a big, weird, inflated blood monster? Yeah, uh, it's like yeah, it did not good. <laughs> <laughs> It didn't seem to really look that good at the time. Yeah. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, but maybe to younger eyes, it was incredibly thrilling and opened mm. vistas. Uh, again, if Ian was here, I'm sure he'd be telling us that his kids don't like CGI stuff. So, Well, they're not allowed, are they, surely? <laughs> well, not in his household. God damn it. I, I, th- I think they drag him along to Marvel movies. And <coughs> Excuse go- me. He suffers from uh, a degree of bitterness because of that. Um, they they do it clearly enjoy it on some level, um, but um, and and actually, um, yeah, that brings us back to, to the, the kind of the limits of the body horror thing because I think what CGI has got really good at now that it never used to be really good at, even on as recently as ten years ago, is cgi animated full people yeah you know so like so now you've got uh like she hulk with with, mm-hmm. with um with the she hulk and with the hulk and other characters like that who are basically just played by actors with loads of spots over them and they're, they're, they're and their motion captured into creatures who then interact like seamlessly with ordinary actors ordinary sized actors and i just wonder how those scenes are filmed and I feel a bit bad for the not the actors playing the Hulk or whatever but the other normal ones around them it's like exactly what are you interacting with what can you see yeah you know is there like uh, Tatsanya Maslany doing the lines but somebody else holding up a big hand that you can hand <laughs> to a cup of tea to or, or you know oh, I don't that, know it's, um, it's mad isn't it and that the, they do do it really well, but I feel mm. like if they decide, oh yeah, we can do that a lot, then maybe that c- could be a problem. I, possibly if they're at that threshold already. I mean, I haven't seen all of She-Hulk, but I get the impression that they. Well, I've heard that they started making that thinking. Yeah, we can have the Hulk on screen nearly all the time. It'll be fine. And then they sort of got into making it and went, oh dear, we've got like six episodes to make. Better start rewriting scenes. Right. <laughs> um, could you not be the Hulk uh, almost all of the, the time, please? So. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Uh, but I think for certainly for for us for our generation, because we're millennials, just. Um, God damn it! I am. I insist on that title. <laughs> I, I am a millennial. I'm a millennial. Not what you, <laughs> it's not what you think it is. Um, it, it's it's been interesting because we're we're you know we're we've been on the both sides of the divide, haven't we? You know we've been online as well. Like we we grew up with films 
with next to no CG, CG if any, any at all. Mm-hmm. And then we've seen it come in. We've seen it get used and abused. <laughs> and then yeah, yeah. we're maybe seeing it sort of, like you said, reach a, a, a plateau where it can work, work with practical effects. And in terms of body horror, to to push it into places that were perhaps wanted to be done but couldn't quite be done either through cost or through through time you know to how long it takes to make the effects but like i when i was at um was at grimfest the other week and i was asking one of the directors if they'd used any cg in one of the couple of their like torturey scenes mm-hmm. and um it said they'd only used cg in one of them because one of the uh, cast had a black eye and they'd forgot to make up the black eye on the cast member in one of the scenes. Right. They were like, they watched it back and they were like, oh fuck. So they had to CG <laughs> black eye onto her face. Um, but he said, other than that, no. And he, he was quite adamant that he wanted everything in, as much as possible in his films to be practical. Mm. And uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, if you want. Then inside I'm thinking, CG's not that bad though, is it? well like you say if it's doing something like that as well the audience is never going to go oh that's clearly in effect Mm. Um, and also they could never have got away with that in the pre-CGI age so they just have had to cut the scene or they'd have had to not use any shots of that actor because it would ruin everything Mm. so um, I need to go back and watch the film now and be like and see if I can spot the uh, the fake black eye Oh, can you remember which film it was? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, uh, you must <laughs> let me know, and, no. and I'll, I'll seek that out as well. Yeah, we um, should watch I'll... it and um, and do an episode on it because it was really enjoyable. Okay. Well, we are going to do some Grimfest. Yeah. Um, uh, discussions, aren't we? Because I've got access to a few of them. Um, just uh, for the listener, um, yeah, Stella went along. I I meant to go along as well, but. Um, uh, was it that I had COVID? No, I didn't have COVID, but there was COVID in the family and I was not very well. And mm. I just suspected didn't feel COVID. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I missed out on that one. But I, they, the, God bless Greenfest people, they've sent me some screeners. So I, oh, cool. I will watch some of them and we'll talk about them uh, in a few weeks' time. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's that's a, the, a wonderful. Um, point to end on I think Stella mm. you know that you, you kind of summed it, everything up there really um, uh, it's it's interesting how the filmmaking toolbox changes um, mm. and yeah I wonder if, if we will lose uh, what did uh, Pinedo call it the um, rupture in the realism yeah yeah I think um yeah, that might be a really good point that you kind of you might need that in order to be able to process it and survive mm. the horror. And will <laughs> will we lose that? But no, I guess probably not because if people are insisting on practical effects a lot, then you'll still have that. Mm. But you will also have CG used kind of invisibly around mm. it in the bits which you don't think uh, are even effects. I mean, mm. that's the way it would be if if the filmmakers are sensible. <laughs> Um, but when have they ever been sensible? Well, that's true. I mean, if they were sensible still, there wouldn't be filmmakers. We know this. <laughs> well, yeah. so. We wouldn't be sat here right now. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, on that note, then, thank you yeah. very much, Stella, and thank you very much, listener, for um, 
listening to our ramble about body horror. I thought you, uh, I thought you, I hope you found this interesting um, and and enjoyable. And you know, obviously, it's a really wide uh, subject area. It is. um, Undoubtedly, there'll be huge things that we've missed and not mentioned at all. Please let us know your own thoughts because I think this kind of thing is something that we'll be coming back to Mm. um, because it runs through so much of what we talk about yeah Um, wonderful well thank you very much Tom well there we go so this is cold afflicted Dan once again in the present day to just round out the episode with some recommendations. Hope you enjoyed the discussion there between me and Stella about body horror. Um, As we indicated at the end of the discussion, if there are areas you think we didn't touch on um, and that are worth covering in in later detail, perhaps in a later episode, then please do get in touch and let us know. So normally at the end of the episode, we come up with uh, recommendations so uh, my recommendation um, is to go to BBC iPlayer if you can in uh, wherever you are in the world because iPlayer um, currently features many horror movies that were obviously broadcast on the BBC over the Halloween period and they're still there Um, you've got classics such as The Exorcist and The Omen Stephen Volk's The Awakening, which I've never seen. Uh, it's one of those movies that I'm saving because a Stephen Volk scripted horror movie is a rare treasure. Um, you've got Don't Look Now, an absolute classic of the genre. Um, weirdly, you've got The Relic, the movie which Stella and I discussed in this discussion just now, so you can check out that CGI decapitation. Uh, that we talked about and see what you think with that and the omen on there at the same time it's a pretty good selection if you like decapitation um so yeah that's my recommendation is to just go to the bbc iplayer if you can access it in your region because there is a ton of decent and interesting horror on there oh um including if you haven't seen it that movie what we've banged on about for two years rob savage's host um usually a shudder exclusive it's currently on the iplayer so if you haven't seen it go there immediately and check it out so next episode then uh i love i'd love to give you a preview but i can't really We're recording a couple of different episodes next week um, and we're not sure which one will be the one that we release on the Friday. But there will be an episode coming out next Friday. So, you know, keep them peeled. Um, There will be something for you. All right. Well, thank you for listening once again and we'll be back soon. Bye-bye. You have been listening to And Now the Podcast Starts Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited Presented by Stella Gaynor and T.D. Velasquez
Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web, www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages at andnowpod or at Lee Cushing Pod. Follow us on Twitter at And Now Podcast or at Lee Cushing Podcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash And Now Podcast. And now the podcast stops. Stella Gaynor.